Welcome. We're glad that you're here. If you're new, we'd uh, love for you to fill out your uh, card on your uh, little insert thing that you were given and take it to the desk out there. We'll get you some info about the church, our, one of our new cool little orange cups, and uh, help, let, let you know anything that we can do to help you, and you let us know anything that we can do to help you. We're really glad you're here. A couple things just want to let you know about right up front. First of all, um, we're going to do mass baptisms again, okay? Um, we did 219 a couple of weeks ago, and we've been doing a whole bunch of them this weekend. You know, sometimes people are like, Oh, I missed it. Can I, can I do it? Yes, you can. And if by the end of this service, you're even thinking, you know what? I'd like to just rededicate myself or our marriage or whatever. You want to come up and join us. We'll stay in the tub as long as you want to, and I'll be in there. Okay. I want to, I want to invite you to do that. Uh, Jen Hatmaker's coming in a couple of weeks. Uh, tickets online available. Ladies, if you're interested, she is going to be here uh, May 15th at seven o'clock. She's a highly sought after speaker, and you're going to love having her come in. We only bring the best in for you. Okay. Uh, the other thing, is we got a What We Believe class that happens on uh, May 18th, that Sunday at 10.30 here at the Orland campus. We'd love for you to come and find out a little bit more about us if, if we can help, okay? Um, several have asked me, okay, Tim, why are we talking about sex, baby? Uh, what are we talking about, you and me? And, and the deal is this, okay? John Ortberg said, if you want to attract a crowd, you should preach on sex, the end times, or will there be sex in the end times? And you know that I'm all about attracting a crowd because I can't wait for that sixth weekend service. You know, I can't wait to start Easter on uh, St. Patrick's Day or whatever we end up doing at some point. Uh, I, I'm kidding. I, I don't think that we're going to attract a crowd this way. I think probably we're going to uh, scare off as many people as we bring in. Okay, but that, that's okay. That's not the that's not the point. My point is we need to talk about this because it's out there in the world. And I, as Kim said earlier, I would recommend to you if you got your fifth graders on up, even uh, the, the fifth grade is when they do the sex talk at most schools, and how ridiculous is it for us to let our kids have a sex talk at school where they talk about, you know, the physical stuff without giving them the spiritual and the emotional and the psychological stuff that goes along with it, because they don't do that. They just say, here, put this on and, you know, don't, you know, don't, don't get in trouble, right? I mean, this, this, is, this is more than that, okay? And I'm not going to talk about the physical part. I, I said this in my, uh, in my email. I shot an email. I was in this conference in Orlando, and I, so I shot this email to the parents, and I said, we're not going to talk about nuts and bolts, and, and Bill said, that was a really bad choice of terms, and I, I, <laughs> I didn't mean it that way, okay, so, but we're not, we're not going to talk about that stuff, okay? The, the, the last thing that, the, the last thing I want to do is, you know, be Dr. Ruth up here, okay? But I, I really do think that it's important for us to talk about this collectively, all right? If you have smaller kids, it's going to be up to you. I don't care. If you want to have them in here, you just may end up in a situation like the man whose daughter came to him and said, um, Daddy, where do we come from? And, and he thought, oh, man. I don't want to do this, you know, but mom wasn't around. He couldn't push it off on anybody. And he thought, I think she's a little young for this, but here goes. And he just launched into the whole sex talk and her eyes just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and he finally got done. He said, so do you understand? And she said, yeah, but Sally just said they came from New Jersey. So, so you may be answering questions that they're not really asking yet by having them in here. I'm just telling you that, okay? But, but the deal is this. Sex is everywhere in our culture. 70% of television shows feature sexual content. It's all around us. It sells everything that we do. So there are three basic options that we can take in, in the approach to this subject. 
Number one is what our culture does. Sex is God. It sells everything. Everything is about sex, baby, okay? That's what it is. We get that, all right? The, the second approach could be the Victorian church approach to sex, and that's either that we think it's gross or we're not going to talk about it publicly because we don't want anybody to think that we actually do it for anything other than making babies every once in a while. And, and we forget that this is a beautiful part of what God created in the first place, all right? The third approach is sex is good. And, and obviously, that's where we're coming from. This is God's view, okay? He created it, and at the end, he said it is good. And when man and woman work together, he said it is very good. He created this. This is important. And the Bible encourages our sexual activity, our intimacy in our marriage in a, a lot of strong ways. Now, the problem with the last one is um, maybe some of you grew up, uh, you know, hearing, well, you just got to, you know, wait till you're married and then it's going to be awesome and everything's going to work out. And you got married and everything's not awesome in the bedroom, you know? That's not all the things that you thought it was going to be. One psychiatrist estimates that only two in ten Christian marriages are even happy. They're staying together for whatever reason, but they're not happy, okay? And that's why we're talking about this is because sex is good. All right, but for the next, after Mother's Day, the three weeks after that, we're going to talk about how to make it more good, okay, in, in a spiritual and emotional kind of a way, all right, because uh, we don't want you in that situation, all right? and it may just be as simple as you need to give it a little more attention than five minutes between Jimmy Fallon and your melatonin pill. Maybe that's just the problem, okay, and so we're going to talk about that, and we're going to have books available for you. Uh, I guess I recommended them so highly that they sold out already, so we'll have them back again after Mother's Day, uh, but, but, but we really believe that there's, there's a reason for this, and we're going to give you books, and we're going to give you help however we can to help sex be good, because we believe sex is good, but it's got to be God's way if it's going to be good. Here's what Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the dumb guy who built his house on the sand. And the rains came and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. All right? The reason we're talking about this is because I'm the guy, we're the people that have to be around when the house falls with a great crash. We're the ones that have to be around to pick up the pieces and to help you with this. And I feel like if I can help you, if I can help you young people decide to build your house on the rock, if I can help you married people decide to build your house on the rock, if we can help this happen along the way, it's gonna save us a lot of crash, okay? And the truth is, most adults walking in this room, if you took Jesus' definition of sexuality, every adult that's walked into this room has in some way built their house on the sand. So let's figure out how to build it on the rock. And the reason I'm calling this series Pure Sex is because I want you to understand that that's not an oxymoron. Sex is good, but it has to be God's way. It has to be done the way God wants us because God's the one that created us. He knows how we work. He knows how he wanted it to be together. And if it's gonna be good, it's gonna be on the rock. So here's where we start. Are you ready? Pure sex is about being sexually pure. Meaning, we save ourselves for marriage, we stay married, and we're faithful in our marriage. I love it when you look at me like that. <laughs> like I have two heads. I get that, okay? 
It's okay, because if you disagree with that, if you think I'm full of it, you know what? Come back for the next, the next month, because I'm gonna talk about stuff that's gonna make you happy. But today, I may need to feel like a preacher in, the, in Alabama in the 1850s talking about how bad slavery is, okay? Because the rest of the culture around us does not agree with what I just said. But, but again, that's the sand. You gotta decide, is it gonna be the sand or is it gonna be the rock? That's where you have to go with this. Our culture says, oh no, no, sexuality is just another body function. It's just like eating or breathing, it's no big deal. God says, no, no, that, that's not true, that's a lie. That's sand, you're building your house on the sand. God says, I want sex to be in marriage and I want it to be for a lifetime. That's how I want this to be all together. Do you understand this? Andy Stanley, one of my favorite preachers, wrote it this way. He said, sex outside of marriage complicates your life. Every time I've ever talked to anybody about sex outside of marriage, even for people for whom things were going well, when I finally got them down and we peeled back all the layers and the rationalization, they finally admit, yeah, it's complicated my life. Years ago, a young lady came to see me. She was a brand new Christian. She said, I've got three questions. First two were pretty tame. The third one was just about sex. She said, are all those things in the Bible about sex, are those just for teenagers? Or do they apply to me too? Because she was an older single. And she was serious. She wanted to get it right. I said, yeah, no, they apply to everybody. She said, so you're telling me at such and such an age, I'm supposed to be celibate, like not have sex? I said, Andy said, I said, yes, but let me ask you a question and be honest. Has sex outside of marriage ever made your life better and more fulfilled? Or has sex outside of marriage made your life more complicated? Please be honest. A big old tear came to her eye and she said, no, it, it always makes my life more complicated. You know why, Andy said? Because God created this wonderful thing. He created it, he knows the best rules for it. And when you break the rules, like anything else he's created, like gravity, for example, you're going to pay, okay? So you can decide, you know what, I don't believe in the law of gravity. If you want to, that's okay. You can decide you don't agree with me on this or the Bible on this, and that's a bunch of baloney, that's okay. But if you don't believe in the law of gravity, please don't sit on the front row of the balcony because you might fall on somebody that does believe in the law of gravity, right? And like the guy who jumped off the tall building and on the way down saw the window washer and said, so far so good, you know? That, that, that's kind of what our world is like. Like, I'm, I'm fine, everything's great, right? Yeah, well, the problem is I'm the guy who has to be down there at the bottom when Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. That's the problem. So what I'm trying to tell you is God gave us guidelines, and he said work within the guidelines, because if you don't work within the guidelines, you're cutting the legs off of all the things that I'm trying to help you with. We talk about this all the time around here. I talked about the seven deadly sins. It's not that if you're sexually immoral, it's not that if you have sex outside of marriage that you're, you're going to go to hell for that sin and you can't be forgiven for it. You're going to go to hell for whatever sin you have if you don't have Jesus. That doesn't matter. They're all the same. And it's like we talked about with the seven deadlies. This is something that's going to be deadly in your life. We had a whole series around here several years ago called Weird. That was a book by Craig Groeschel, and, and, and the whole idea was Christians are supposed to be weird, okay? Not in a, you know, not in a normal, like, blue-haired televangelist kind of weird way, but in a, in, in a way that the culture's going this way, that doesn't mean we're going that way. The, the culture is on the, the verse was Matthew 7, 13. Jesus said, narrow is the road that leads to life, and few find it, but broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are on that, all right? Is the whole culture on this broad road that says, yeah, it's no big deal. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, that's where everybody else is. And they're not happy. And it's not leading the right place. So young people, I got to ask you a question. Who loves you more, HBO or God? 
Yeah? Who, know, who loves you more, your school friends or God? Who knows more about you than anybody else in the universe? Anybody or God? Because if God made you, then he knows the right thing. And we can have the, the, whole, you know, the whole culture, this big wide ship going this way, and we can be on that ship if we want to. But God says, no, well, hang on a second. This is how it's supposed to be over here. This is an old illustration I've used a million times, but somebody made a commercial out of it, and it is absolutely hilarious. You'll get the point. Again, this is the USS Montana requesting that you immediately divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Over. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. This is Captain Hancock. You will divert your course. Over. Negative, Captain. I'm not moving anything. Change your course. Over. So, this is the USS Montana, the second largest vessel in the North Atlantic Fleet. You will change course 15 degrees north, or I will be forced to take measures to ensure the safety of this ship. Over! This is a lighthouse, mate. It's your call. That's what I'm talking about, all right? God says, look, here's the rock. It's right here. You can build on this and you'll be, you'll be great. You can be the other guy. You can say, no, God, I'm not, you, you got to change your ways. It's the 21st century, man. I mean, come on, all right? You got to figure that out, God. God says, you know, it doesn't matter what century it is. This is how I created you. So let me refresh your memory. Let's go back to the beginning. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand that God's first command to us was have sex? People tell me God's not good. Come on. <laughs> the very first thing he tells us, the very first command is be fruitful. And I'm here to tell you, if you weren't here at Easter, I have been fruitful and multiplied. As a matter of fact, I have been fruitful squared because my daughter is pregnant and I'm going to be a grandpa. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Fruitful squared. Isn't that cool? And I know, I know that my grandbaby is only the size of an avocado because she's only 16 weeks pregnant, but you're going to hear about my grandchild for the rest of your life. You might as well get used to it, okay? The one thing that God wants you to know is that he created you in the very beginning to be a sexual being. Go on. It is not good that man is alone. That's what God said. It's not good for man to be alone. And we know this. We have this feeling inside of us. Why is that true? It's because God made us that way. Okay? We're made for intimate relationship with each other. And if you need proof that that's true, ladies and gentlemen, George Clooney is engaged. Okay? Even George Clooney believes that verse. It is not good for man to be alone. And that's craziness. Why would George Clooney want to get in? Why would he want to enter into a marriage relationship? Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me because God created that inside of us. Male and female. He created them, okay? 
something innately different about men and women, obviously more than just the physical part. That's why we're going to spend a week. I'm going to talk to the men, and we're going to have a week where uh, we bring in this woman, and she's going to talk to the ladies, and, and we're going to do it that way because there are differences. You notice that, right? Men don't go to the bathroom together, okay? Women don't clean out their earwax with a car key. There are differences between the two of us. I think it's very effective. I don't, I've never seen a woman do it, okay? But besides the sexual and physical differences, there are other things that need to happen along the way. And that's why we're going to do this, okay? So here's how it's going to go. Mother's Day next, next weekend, by the way, hello, Mother's Day next weekend. Guys, alert, alert, doo doo, okay? <laughs> It's next weekend, okay, and, and what we've got is my wife and uh, Diane and my mom and Leslie, we all went down and interviewed Miss Kay from Duck Dynasty, and we had a great, great time, and she is a great lady who is a great Christian lady, got a lot of great advice for moms and wives and all those kinds of things, and so that's what next week is going to be. We got the video interview of that and a lot of fun stuff going on. The week, and, and we're also selling, um, we're going to have uh, these D, this DVD curriculum called Come to the Table. The other thing that we did, and we haven't told you this, is we went down and we filmed a four-week curricula with, uh, again, with my mom, with my, with my wife, with Leslie, and Miss Kay, and Alan Robertson, and it's a four-week deal that you ladies can take, five bucks just so we can recoup the cost of making the DVD. It, you can take this and have a four-week small group study with some of your girlfriends, okay? It's made for the ladies, and it's really phenomenal. We just put that all together kind of last minute, okay? That, that's Mother's Day next week, and that'll be available next week. The next week, however, is also Mother's Day. And by that, I mean, I'm going to be here talking to the men about what they need to know about this relationship and how it goes in your marriage. So, so I mean, I'm not an expert on women. There's no such thing as a male expert on women. They don't exist, okay? But I've been married for 30 years. I got three daughters, and I've read all those books that, that we're selling out there. So we're going to help you with it, and, and I'm going to talk to the guys. The week after that, Shanti Feldhan, who uh, has written uh, a book, she's a Harvard-trained research uh, analysis person, and she has done all this research on, on, on what women need to know about men and what men need to know about women, and so that's what you're going to hear. So she's actually coming in on Memorial Day. So if you're thinking, I, I wonder if I should go fishing or, you know, go, you know, you should, you should, you should be here. You should be a part of this. And, uh, and, and, and ladies, if your husband says, well, I'm not coming two weeks in a row. I'm not coming to Mother's Day and the next week. Leave him home on Mother's Day and bring them the next week because they need to hear what's going on. We want to talk about this. This is how this is going to go, okay? The, the, obvious, the obvious beginning of this is for procreation, okay? But you can see in here that there's this intimate bond that God is trying to design for us. Let me go back, okay? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, making a commitment to each other. And then the next verse says, and be united to his wife. I like the King James on this because it said he would cleave to his wife, you know? It would cleave, okay? We would come together in this intimate bond. That's how it was supposed to be. That's how it was created in the very, very beginning. And then from that relationship, we get to the next verse where it says, and they were naked and unashamed. And this is not just a physical description. This is a description of their relationship. This is a description of intimacy, naked and unashamed. And it's something that we really can't possibly have on this earth because they were there before sin 
and naked and unashamed. I mean, I've been married to this wonderful woman for 30 years, and there's been some great times, but there's also been some bad times because we live in a sinful world. Imagine a relationship where, where there's nothing but good times. That's where they started in the very beginning, and that's what intimacy is supposed to be. And there is a piece of intimacy that we can still have even though we live in an imperfect world, especially if we do things by the rock, okay? And that's what I'm talking about, this married couple bond that is supposed to be there. And all through the Bible, the Bible talks about how sex is supposed to be a good thing in here. And if it's not a part of your marriage relationship, then a part of the puzzle is missing. God says, I'm for it. I, I made it. This is really important. Like Tim Sutherland said last week, God could have come up with another way for us to reproduce. He could have figured out a you know, different way of cross-pollinization that wasn't so much fun, that we wouldn't enjoy each other as much. But he didn't do that. He put that together because he, he, he wants it to be good. And you read the Bible, and the problem with the Bible is, you know, depending on who translates it, you don't really understand what the words and what the meaning of the words really are. If you go back and read the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, it is an R-rated chap. It's an R-rated book in the Bible. I mean, it really is. If you could get past the you know, the way we've translated it back into what's going on, I mean, there's some crazy stuff going on between this married couple in there, and the whole book is about that. They wouldn't let Jewish boys, unless they were married, they wouldn't let them read that until they were 30 years old. Okay? And that's in the Bible. There's all kinds of sexual stuff in the Bible, and we just take it out. Isaac and Rebecca are married, and in Genesis 26, it says that uh, in the NIV version, in your version, it says that, that Isaac was caressing Rebecca. So you kind of get the idea that, you know, they're making out. You know, okay, you kind of get that, right? But in the King James, when I was growing up, you know what that verse says? It says, Isaac was sporting with Rebecca. I'm a kid. I'm like, are they playing tennis? What? You know, I'm confused. I, I, don't know, I don't understand what's going on. No, that's just a stupid translation. They're making love. That's what they were doing, okay? In the, that's in the Bible over and over again. God thinks it's good, but God thinks it's good within the confines of the marriage relationship. And the world's going to say, eh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. The truth of the matter is, what happens in Vegas never stays in Vegas, and we know this. Vegas knows this. Holland is, uh, if you said, what's the country that's probably known for its uh, loosest morality on uh, sexuality? It's probably Holland. I mean, that's free love thing. It's just no big deal. Legalized prostitution. I mean, you get this, right? And, and, and yet, they did a, a poll recently of Dutch singles. And they said, how happy are you with your sex life? And only 20% of them said they were happy with their sex life. And two-thirds of them said, I, we, we don't know this, but we're guessing that married couples are more happy with their sex life than we are. And it's not just about the fact that you're always going to have the same person in the bed next to you. It's about this deeper intimacy. It's because God knows what we're made for. So a word to you parents, okay? Make sure that you're talking to your kids about this. The school's talking to your kids about this. Other kids are talking to your kids about this. This is your job. You're the parent. You need to talk to them. We need to educate the people that are around us as to what is important and what's really going to happen when we mess around. Okay, here's a, a verse from the Old Testament. And it's about adultery, but sexual immorality one way or the other. The proverb writer says, can a man scoop fire into his lap without being burned? Love that analogy. Like, oh, no, that's a bad problem. 
So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. Whoever does so destroys himself. That, that's what God, God's going to tell you about sexual immorality. You're, you're going to destroy yourself. You're going to burn yourself. So we need to tell our kids. I mean, we understand this, right? Like, do you let your kids drive a car? No, you can't let your kids drive a car until they're old enough, until they've had enough hours behind the wheel and they've got their license and they've passed it and they've done all those things, right? They have to be a certain age. So what do we do with sexuality? We tell our kids, you know, in fifth grade, well, here's what goes where and here's a, you know, condom and I hope everything works out okay. Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense to me, okay? The, the, you can let your eight-year-old get in the car and, and do the steering wheel back and forth, but the last thing you want to do is turn it on. This is an Enzo Ferrari. Awesome looking, isn't it? They, uh, they only make less than 400 of these a year. They're a million dollars a piece. That's not a normal Ferrari. That's an Enzo. They, they're a million dollar car, okay? Um, it's just, uh, I mean, look at the back end of it in the showroom. It's just an incredible car. And uh, so this guy buys one, right? This rich guy, two-year waiting list. He, he finally comes up and, and his 20-year-old son, I mean, he's legal driver. His 20-year-old son says, hey, dad, I'll go pick it up for you, all right? Million dollar car. Yeah, you guessed it. This is what happened when uh, that son hit a telephone pole, okay? At 200 miles an hour. Now, it's okay. The son walked away with minor injuries, believe it or not. But here's what's left of the car, ladies and gentlemen. It had nine miles on the odometer. <laughs> if you're bad at math, that's a little over $100,000 a mile. <laughs> Let me ask you again. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without being burned? Singles, young people, anyone who isn't currently married, I know this is tough. I, I know. I know you're looking up at me like, oh, you're probably taking blue pills, dude. You don't know anything what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know, I know. It's okay. <laughs> or... Or, or you're thinking, well, you got to be married to that beautiful woman for 30 years. You have no idea where I live. You have no idea what's going on. And you know what the truth is? I can't tell you that I know what's going on in your life. And I have been married, happily married for 30 years to a beautiful woman. And that part of our relationship is really, really wonderful. I got to tell you. But the reason it's wonderful is because we read all those books that we're selling. It's because we've read all those books and a whole lot more. It's because we've been to counseling. It's because we've been not just committed, but we've worked on this, on making this intimacy thing good in our marriage. And the other thing I want to tell you is, you know what? I didn't, I didn't grow up in the 21st century. I grew up in the 70s, okay? I don't know if you remember the 70s or you heard of the 70s, but sex, drugs, and rock and roll was the motto of the 70s, okay? We didn't have AIDS back then. We didn't have a lot of the STDs we have now. So safe sex wasn't even invented yet. Nobody cared about any of that stuff. It's the same in every culture. It's the same every time. That's the, that's the place I grew up. And you know what they were telling us back in the 70s? The same thing. They were saying, don't worry about it. Go out. That, that, that whole rock thing, that's all outdated. And I will tell you that my wife and I raised three daughters in this world. Two of them are married now, and one of, them's, one of them's in college. But you know what? We raised them the same way. Not because we were legalistic about God's commands. Not because, you know, we, we thought, oh, I don't want them to get pregnant, or I don't want them to get a disease, or I don't want to have to deal with that because I'm a pastor. No, we, we told them that because this is the rock, and we want our kids to build their life on the rock because we love them. That's what we told them, and that's the only reason I'm telling you. If you've already blown it in this area, if you're blowing it right now in this area, you decide to believe me or not believe me. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just telling you this is the rock, and all that other stuff is going to crash, and what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas, okay? 
Now, the, the best illustration I've heard of human sexuality is that it's like a fire. I mean, a fire is good or bad, right? A fire can be good. If it's in the furnace, it's heat in your house. If it's in the, the fireplace, it's beautiful. It gives off warmth. You can cook with it on the stove. You can have a campfire. And as long as it's within the confines of, of something around it that keeps it where it is, it's really good. You go putting a stick in there and running through the wilderness with the fire, you could have a real problem on your hand. And that's what our world has done with this. That's what I want you to understand. So I'm going to show you a, a video by a preacher named Rob Bell, who I really actually don't agree with theologically now, but when he made these videos, he was right on track, and, and it was really, really good, and it's really good. I'm going to show it to you. And he talks about how we have um, uh, this stupid thing in the English language with love. You know, we have one word for love. I love the Blackhawks. I love pizza. I love my wife. I love my kid. I mean, this, the, there's just one word, and it doesn't make any sense. Most cultures have multiple words for love so that you could understand what the kind of love is going to be. And so he's going to describe for you the three Hebrew words for love. Let me just put them up here. Raya in the Old Testament was in Hebrew. This is, this is what you need to know. Raya was friendship. It's the friendship love. It's the I love you man kind of love, right? You get that. Um, uh, ahava is the commitment. Now, what's supposed to happen in a relationship is there are different flames. There's different kinds of love. There's the raya friendship kind of a flame. There's the ahava commitment kind of a flame. And, and I need you to hear me say this. I know I, I'm probably a bunch of you are living together and you're not married, and I, and I understand that. I understand that, that that makes sense to you. But that's not ahava. A commitment has got to be there before the flame can really work the way that it needs to work. And the whole deal with living together is, is really the problem with living together is you're basing it on incorrect information. Most of the people I talk to that are living together are like, well, yeah, we're, we're just trying this out. We don't, you know, we're just kicking the tires. It's just a test drive. We don't know if we're really compatible. We don't know if we can really, you know, if we can really do the marriage thing. So we're just going to try this for a little while. And, and that's based on a, a fairy tale view of finding the right person. Deep down inside, you're living together, you're, 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 you're thinking, well, I like this person, I, I love this person, but I'm not sure I want to spend the rest of my life with this person because I might actually find the right person someday, and I don't want to have to get divorced and go find the right person, right? Can I just tell you something? The right person is in the same category as leprechauns. Unicorns, Oompa Loompas, whatever you want, okay? There is no such, look at me, there's no such thing as the right person. There are only persons. And everybody you're going to meet, both now and later on and whenever in life, everyone is a fixer-upper, you guys. That's the way it is. <laughs> and my friend, you are also a fixer-upper. Can I get a hallelujah, okay? So make a commitment, man. Jump, get, 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 a, get a license. Let's get you married. Let's do this because you need the ahava commitment if you really want the flame to work the way that it's supposed to, which leads us to the dode, which is the Hebrew word for sexual intimacy. And, and the only way the dode really works is if all of the flames are working together. You can go off and have dode other places if you want to, but all that does is weaken the ahava and the raya, as you very, very well know. And dode is the way that God designed it. Here's Rob's explanation. Well, Jesus talks about this idea 
of entire beings coming together. He uses the phrase one flesh to describe this connection between a man and a woman. Now this one flesh is way more than just a physical act. I mean, it's emotions, it's hearts, it's minds, it's experiences. It's the mingling of souls. And so this coming together physically becomes a picture of a deeper spiritual reality. So Jesus teaches us that sex is ultimately a spiritual act. And that something so beautiful, something so powerful, was meant to endure forever. See, the one flame burning all by itself will never be as hot as all the flames burning together. I mean, we were created for all the flames to burn as one. I mean, think about all the ways that we mess this up. I mean, take an affair for an example. An affair is two people sharing the dode flame, but without any of the other flames, without the raya or the ahava. I mean, there's no friendship, there's no commitment, there's no loyalty, no sacrifice. And, I mean, there's dode, but there's no raya or ahava. It's two people trying from this one flame, the dode flame, to get all the heat of the three flames burning together. I mean, no wonder it leaves a person empty and unfulfilled. We were created for so much more. And so the person keeps coming back to this one flame over and over again, and yet it never truly satisfies. It can't. Or how about the couple who have been married for years and they're still together? There's still some commitment. I mean, there's still some ahava, but let's be honest, there's not much else. There's no friendship. There's no sex. And they neglect the flames and eventually they flicker and they fade and they go out. When you separate the flames, it can never really satisfy. It's like you're living outside how God wired you to live. I mean, maybe our culture has no clue what true sexuality really looks like. Maybe the world around us, when it comes to sex, just doesn't get it. I mean, true sexuality is vast and mysterious. I mean, it's big, it involves all of you. I mean, you have a body, but you also have a soul and a spirit. Sex is the mingling of souls. It's a man and a woman coming together and giving all of themselves to each other. And now, may you honor the way that God created you. May you have a profound sense of respect for the fact that you are a deeply spiritual and mysterious being and that sex is ultimately a profoundly spiritual thing. May you enjoy what God created to last a lifetime. And may you discover the big flame.
I love that in shot, <clears throat> that aerial shot of that giant flame in the midst of that dark area, because you know what? That's what Jesus said our relationships were supposed to be. He said, you're a light, and, and, and you need to shine brightly. And wouldn't it be cool if Parkview was full of marriages that were so bright and so hot and so dode Ahava and Raya all mixed together that everybody else like George Clooney would go, wow, I want some of that. How is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. It's by building your life on the rock. In the Old Testament, there's a verse that says, there's a way that seems right to man and its end is death. That's the broad road that leads to destruction. But Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. You may have heard that verse before, but here's the important part right before that. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is not out there. The truth is in here. You may not like it. It may be very difficult. I understand all those things. But you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. We ask these three questions about our discipleship journey, our, our journey with Christ a lot. Let's apply them to this. Where is God in your whatever it is? Where is God in your sex life? Do you even consider what God has to say about this when it comes to this area of your life? Question two, who's guiding you in your sex life? Again, MTV or is it God and Jesus and his word? You know, this, my truth, and it will set you free. Number three, what's the priority in your sex life? Again, some of you are married and you're in this relationship, this ahava, but the dodes kind of faded. It's not really going very well. Where's the priority in that? Because if you want the world to see the flame, the flame needs to be there. And I do know that it's hard in this world to live in this kind of truth. I, I get this. But again, here's what the Bible says. This is Paul. He says, flee from sexual immorality, and this is why it's important. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. It's different. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Why does God say this? Because he loves us, because he knows what's best, because he understands human sexuality. And so do you. And if you don't understand that, one day you are going to find somebody and you're going to fall in love and you're going to want to have dode and you're going to want to have ahava and you're going to want to have all those things together. And the truth is, the more that you've watered down that part of your life, the more that you've shared that part of your life with other people, the harder that's going to be. That's just the truth of it. Jim Dethmer preaching at Willow Creek about sexual purity. He said, let's imagine it's the coldest day of the winter in Chicago, 50 below wind chill. That was like two days ago, right? That's not hard for us. <laughs> you get a mouthful of saliva on your tongue and you stick your tongue to the chrome bumper of a car. Shades of the movie Christmas Story, right? Leave it there for about 30 seconds and then walk away. Well, you can't walk away because you're leaving part of yourself behind. Jim says, when you have sex with someone and then walk away, you leave a part of your soul behind. That's why some of you feel unwholesome and incomplete. Some of you are saying to me right now, oh sure, I'm going to tell my boyfriend after we've been involved for months that we're going to stop. Jim said, no, don't do it abruptly, do it tactfully. Have him over for a nice candlelight dinner, and then in a romantic setting, lean across the table and say, let's imagine it's the coldest night of the winter in Chicago. 
You can say it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt if you want to. Okay? But I know, and we all know, that what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. All other sins are outside a man's body. But this one is way deeper. I know that was hard, you guys. Uh, and I knew it would be. I, I knew talking about this was going to drag up some hard feelings and some guilt. And if the stats are right, and I'm sure they are, <clears throat> most of us have built our life on the sand at some point, okay? And I realized when we were diving into this topic that that was going to be the problem. And the, the truth of the matter is, it's worth it. If one couple doesn't have to go through that, it's worth it. If, if, if one young person out of all of this audience decides they're going to build their life on the rock or rebuild their life on the rock, it's, it's absolutely worth it, okay? But the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of our worship service and the way we do things is that Jesus told us when we get together, we should do communion. And so we're doing communion right now. And I say the beauty of that because when we get to communion time every week, we can go, okay, built my life on the sand this week. Didn't do things the way I was supposed to this week. Me too. Get to communion. I remember I am not saved because I do more good than I do bad. I get to communion and I remember, oh yeah, Jesus loves me. God loves me completely no matter what. My wife and I are studying 1 Corinthians 13 together right now. It's a passage you probably had read at your wedding. You know, Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't boast. It doesn't envy. Keeps no record of wrongs. Always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. The truth of the matter is, we're never going to be able to do that with each other. That should be our goal, but we're never going to be able to do that with each other because that is in the New Testament Greek definition, agape love, which is what God does for us. And only God can really do all those things perfectly. We should try. We want to. But only God can do that. And that's what we get to communion time. We realize that he did this for us. And if, you're, if you've been... If you've been building your life in the sand in this area. You've been sexually immoral. Let me read you a verse, okay? Because there's, there's these verses, there's always a list of sins, you know, and just a, a lot of the books in the New Testament, there's a list of sins here, you know. Here, here's what you need to know, okay? There's one in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, where Paul says this. He says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then the first thing on the list is sexual immorality. And what tends to happen, at least when I look at this list, I think a lot of people, they look at the list and they go, oh yeah, those people over there, you know, they're the bad people. We know that we got a couple of those sins on the list, but, but those people over there, they're so bad. And I just want you to know that on this list of sins, there is also um, stealing and greed and slander and drunkenness, okay, this list hits all of us, okay? So what Paul is saying is not, oh, those sexually immoral people, they're not going to be able to get to heaven because that's the bad sin, that's the deadly sin, and you can't go, Jesus can't die for sexual immorality. He's not saying that. He's saying that's what everybody, this, this list hits everybody, and nobody is going to inherit the kingdom of God unless we have Jesus. So we get to the end of the verse, and he says, and that is what some of you were, whatever, drunk, slander, greed, sexually immoral. But you were washed. You see the beautiful symbolism of baptism? You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
That's what I, what I was, but not anymore. So we get to communion, and though my sins were like scarlet red, they can be white as snow. Though they were red as crimson, they will be like wool. They used to be that way, and God knows that I'm not going to be perfect going forward. So those sins are going to be red again, but they're always going to be covered over by the red blood of Jesus. And somehow red covering red and God's beautiful color scheme always makes white. And here's what I know. The devil's a stinking liar. That's what I know. He's called the father of lies. So the devil has probably lied to you in the past and said, hey, you know what? Go to Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It doesn't really matter, right? Well, whether you actually went to Vegas or not, you know, you, you believed it. You went that direction. You built your life on the sand instead of the rock. And then, then the devil is like, oh, well, you went to Vegas. I was just kidding. It doesn't stay in Vegas. Now your life is messed up. And some of you are sitting there listening to the great big world song. You're, you're watching that drama. You're doing whatever. You're, you're thinking, oh man, I have really blown it. God can't possibly love me. And guess what? That's the devil telling you that again. The devil said, go to Vegas. Don't worry about it. Then you went to Vegas. And he's like, oh, you went to Vegas. Now you're no good. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him and go to Vegas. And don't, love me. don't, don't listen to him and, and build your life on the sand. But don't listen to him now because that's not true. The reason that Jesus died for us is so that we could be a new creation. All right? The old has gone, the Bible says, and the new has come. I'm not preaching on this stuff to make you feel guilty. I'm not preaching on this stuff to try to convince you to my way of, of thinking. I'm just preaching on this stuff because I want you to understand what the rock is and it's the best way. But no matter whether you've blown it or not, when we get to this point, you've got to understand that that's what grace is all about. I was reading this week in John 5. And there's a verse where Jesus goes to a blind guy and this blind guy, and Jesus, instead of just healing him, he says, do you want to get well? I mean, no, I like being blind. Thanks, Jesus. No, I mean, why did he ask him this question? Well, there's a deeper meaning. Again, when you get to the language, you understand this. Jesus said, do you want to get well? And what he said in the Greek word, well, is not hugios. It is hugios. It's not sozo, okay? Sozo, if Jesus would have said, do you want to get sozo, it would have been healed. But he didn't. He didn't really say, do you want to get healed? He said, do you want to get whole? That's why he asked the blind guy that. It wasn't just, do you want me to remove the blindness? It was about everything in your life. I uh, used to have a Harley until I laid it down in some gravel in Arkansas, and my wife said, no more of that, and um, I broke my collarbone. You can kind of see it right here, it, that it sticks out. It's really obnoxious, okay? I was an hour and a half away from the hospital, you know, no cell service. It was not a, it was not a, not a good day, okay? End of motorcycle riding for me, okay? Um, but it's healed now. My collarbone's not broken. If you hit me here, you know, it's not going to pop in and out again. But I've got to be honest with you. I can never sleep on the left side of my body ever again because it starts aching. You know what I'm saying? And there's still some things that go on, you know, when, when I'm working out or doing something over here on this side that just don't go as good as this side. So it's been healed, but it's not whole. So what I'm asking you is, do you want to get well? And I'm not saying 
repair over every I know you're going to need counseling if you're in that situation I know there's going to be some things that you're going to have to change in your life I know I know I get all that but what Jesus is promising you is not that you can get healed he's promising you that you can be whole let's pray together and we'll have communion Lord make us all whole and more importantly let us live in wholeness I think if we understood that, that we could actually sleep on the left side, that, that everything could be good again, that even a marriage that's gone through that, even though that'll always be there in the past, that they can move forward and they can go on and they can be whole again. And it's not because they've got help or counseling or because they've just decided to forgive. It's because of the power that you've given us to be whole again. And Lord, if there are people in here feeling bad because they built their life on the sand. Help them to know that you don't love them any less for that. You died on the cross for all of their sins, including the sexual ones. And yeah, it hurts a little bit more because it's against our own body, but, but it doesn't matter because you died for all of them. And if there are people in this room who have never accepted that grace, Lord, what a great day to come to you and say, Jesus, are you asking me, do I want to be well? Because that's what you're doing. You're saying, do you want to be well? And just let those people go, duh, yes, I want to be well. But I don't want to just be healed. I want to be whole. And I want to follow you. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to build my life on the rock, not the sand, moving forward. And I know I won't be perfect, but I know your grace covers that. I just understand this differently now. And I know I need a Savior. And I believe in you. Maybe there's some people in this room that have never been baptized. They need to just jump up here at the end and jump in the tub. There may be some couples that um, want to come and do this together. What, whatever, Lord, be washed. Not that it saves us. It's just a symbol, but that's what this communion is. It's a symbol of your body and your blood that took care of everything for us. Be with us as we celebrate this together. In Jesus' name, amen.